Hi, I'm Sonia, a marketing manager at Autologic and Vadim, web and flooded developer at Autologic. Hi. And you're listening to the first episode of Autologic podcast. We talk about digital with interesting people. And our today's guest is Michael Chernobrod, co-founder of Tamsin and Divorx interactive companies. Mikhail has a vast experience in entrepreneurship and technology, lover of cycling and just a good guy. Michael, thank you for coming. Hi, Mike. Thank you guys for having me. Today we actually wanted to talk about one of the most urgent topic of 2020 and 2021. It's obviously the impact of COVID-19 on business. I mean, a lot of bad things have happened during lockdown crisis. We're still kind of getting out of it. A lot of companies were closed. And actually, besides all this bad stuff, Michael, what do you think? Were there any good things that for entrepreneurs, any positive aspects or benefits? What do you think? Yes, of course. Uh, like every um, uh, occurrence in this world, uh, it can have uh, multiple impacts. So in this case, uh, COVID virus, it's um, uh, sort of uh, I would call it a shuffle in the game. So basically it changes things, but it's not necessarily only negative or only positive. So we can look at the different industries, for example, uh, services industry, uh, travel industry well, was completely wiped out uh, by this virus. And uh, if we focus on the tech, tech companies that are related to this, like, uh, maybe a marketplace for tickets or uh, rental properties, vacation arrangements, services. Uh, they all got impact like pretty bad and like <clears throat> influenced by the whole COVID thing. But on the other hand, lots of uh, companies benefited from it. Uh, for example, uh, food delivery, uh, Zoom, telecommunications, uh, uh, all kinds of uh, video games, entertainment services for like movies, streaming for home because people spend more time at home. Uh, those guys benefited uh, huge from it. For example, for instance, Zoom. I mean, you've seen the stocks. <laughs> uh, so if we focus on the positive stuff, and kind of try to not pay attention to the negative stuff, nothing much changed. I mean, the industry, the stock market, it's it's going. I mean, there is like a lack of developers in tech industry, especially in San Francisco, since a lot of people moved. Um, so things are looking good overall. Um, I, I would say like there is more positive impact in the tech industry than negative overall. Yeah, that's right. I, I didn't actually notice anything myself uh, as a developer, to be honest. So it was um, the, only, the only problem we had is basically having um, a necessity to work from home, which uh, I must admit kind of slowed down the development uh, for some projects. But overall, we didn't um, notice like a demand slowdown um, from in, on the dev scene, at least. 
Yeah, and actually there is one problem because of the remote work that all people are at home and it's it's actually kind of hard to find new clients because the main uh, option and the main channel to find new clients and have these uh, long-lasting relationships, it's face-to-face uh, -face communication and a lot of people, they are used to this online approach and it's it's actually a problem for sales managers and the sales industry in general to find clients and uh, how do you think it's possible to solve this problem? Well, I, I have to disagree with this statement because uh, there are problems, of course, like uh, what he mentioned that there is a problem with our uh, speed of uh, project development. So mid-managers probably struggling, organizing developers and deliver on time. And it requires special skills to be able to manage uh, teams uh, remotely. Uh, we've done it for 15 years. So for me, it's not new. <laughs> I'm used to it. But uh, a lot of, uh, of, of companies who are used to brainstorming every day, three times in the meeting room, yeah, they have to change their processes and adapt. But from the sales point, uh, business development and sales managers, I think that's actually a huge advantage. It depends where you were before. If you were like a primary speaker at major conferences in tech, people just come and attack you. They basically hunt you, not you hunting them. Yeah, so basically, uh, if you are a sales, uh, sales person, now uh, the revenue, uh, like avenues for reaching out people are much uh, bigger on the internet. Like you can, for example, have a premium account on LinkedIn and uh, approach anyone you want in this world. and. Uh, 30-40% statistics-wise, uh, it's more likely for these people to reply you now than before because they were busy at the conferences, uh, conferencing and, and chatting with their peers and their friends, uh, going wineries, everything. Like now everyone is stuck at home, they're bored. Like if you write to Elon Musk, he might be bored at this particular moment and reply to you. This is the amazing thing of... Uh, working from home. It's uh, much more easier to reach out to certain people. Yeah, very, actually very interesting point of view here. Um, and uh, Mike, you actually touch, uh, touched upon a very interesting topic, which is uh, managing teams uh, remotely. So uh, particularly, this is the thing I'm still struggling with. Uh, do you have any like tips and tricks on how to improve uh, uh, that skill because I uh, by that by this point I didn't actually know it was a specific skill or something so can you please give some advice on how uh, this uh, remote management can be improved mm -hmm. so um, as from my experience uh, it's uh, related to um, communication so when you're in, a, in one room and you have uh, multiple opportunities to convey a message like you say something and they respond and you correct and they respond it happens like within five minutes you figure out some problem 
what do you do with uh, when you're separated and online? They use uh, different um, mediums for this kind of communication. And you double check. So you get involved people. You double check on every statement, every report. Uh, lots of peers see it. Um, so like, it's not just a chat between two people. It's a, a lot of people communicating together. There is a lot of tools for this kind of communication, visual, text, uh, voice, everything, different kinds. Um, what is very important is to have all the peers uh, be able to respond or receive those messages on time and have uh, multiple touch-based type of uh, sessions on uh, different subjects. So yes, I know there is a problem with the Zoom fatigue and everything like that. Um, I, I tend not to have a lot of uh, voice video calls, but rather have a lot of uh, written communication. We use a bunch of different project management tools that allow us to track and respond on time and um, in a very professional way. Uh, it, it relates both to design and development. So for those two directions, um, the tools can be different, but the whole strategy, it's uh, the same, it's common. Uh, you have to have all your peers respond on every single message you put in there. So when we in the room, we're more used to kind of like free chat and we speak a little bit on subject, a little bit on about our paths, a little bit about our weekends. We don't have that kind of noise within the professional discussion. Yeah, that's true. That's totally true. Yeah. yeah. And, and it kind of like saves time and, and focuses uh, people's attention on the, on the things. Interesting, very interesting perspective. Um, can you please name any of the tools that you use? Oh, we use a lot of Jira, Asana, uh, Trello, Envision app, and similar couple others. I'm not very strong with the designer parts because I'm managing the technical teams. But yeah, Asana and Jira are the main tools for me. Cool. Um, to my a personal experience, uh, Trello and Asana are actually tools that um, kind of keep you away from discussing certain things. Uh, and what I mean by that is that when you leave a task on Trello, it eliminates some of the extra discussion that you have to like go through with, uh, well, for example, if you manage a team of devs, uh, eliminate some of the discussion with your devs. Um, isn't that like going away from communication and just pure leaving tasks? Mm -hmm. I understand the question. So uh, for me, trail is more like a, a brainstorming uh, rather than task-oriented tool. So where we can post a problem and a bunch of people can discuss it and brainstorm it and provide solutions. Uh, for uh, task management, Jira is more straightforward where you can have a specific discussions um, focused on a specific problem. So you create a ticket and then within that thread, you can discuss all kinds of aspects of this ticket. So it's more focused and, um, more granular you go, it's easier to control. So you're never like 
never try to combine a bunch of tasks within one ticket. That's not good. It's always good to separate because there will be comments specific for this particular element. And when it's like part of a longer discussion, uh, things are getting lost. So more granular you go, better control you have. So things haven't changed much. Uh, so is the Trello or task management aspect the same um, during the COVID? Um, and so only real life communication just moved to chats and stuff? Pretty much, I think. But also in terms of like uh, culture and how it's supposed to be run, I think uh, most managers, they kind of demand from developers and designers to pay attention more to those tickets while like before they could get together in the hands, all hands meeting uh, in the morning and discuss different aspects. So there is more like a coach and the team. Here we have a team and the coach is somewhere like sitting. It's like basically the, the, the difference between when you prep for a soccer game, it's a, uh, oh, you are in a soccer game where the coach is like somewhere far away and can only scream at you from there, right? So, yeah, the, the players the players need to kind of figure that out. And when they, on the actual game, they have to take their, uh, the game in, in control and, and, and try to do something. So here it's very similar. You basically create a foundation of tasks. It's like, um, how I said, like uh, the points you jump from one, two, three, it's like bases. And you have to cover all your bases and, and, and move on. So like there is a lot of um, self-motivation um, and self-focus required from developers, but in a way it's a, it's a task of a manager to create a very clear uh, path for them to, to cover all the bases. If that, is not ex if, if that does not exist, uh, developers can get lost. Yeah, totally true. Agree for with sure. That. Michael, so you think that after the lockdown will be over, you're going to stick to these uh, system and you stay on the remote job? Well, I think um, uh, partially people will go back. Uh, and majority of companies, uh, corporations, enterprise, they work differently. They're not like really suited for remote work because they grow culture within their organizations. So they need uh, younger people, the college graduates join them and they have uh, multiple tiers of people kind of training them to be a, a great team player of the team Salesforce or team Facebook. This is a little bit different rather than consulting agencies who are uh, uh, sometimes even lacking culture like big companies like Accenture, Infosys. I, I cannot like see how uh, this will be different for them, but it's a, it's a matter of a political structure within the organization. I think um, for us, a smaller agency provider, it's always more beneficial to work remotely because we can hire people from all over the world. And uh, the globalism, the whole uh, change of how we conduct business, 
it's been there and it's more even more profound now so i don't see myself uh, going back to office and hiring people locally which does not make any sense and uh, to my opinion like a lot of people won't come back uh, at least for san francisco because uh, it's very expensive to live here and there should be clear benefits of for that. And for now there is zero of those. And if you are tied to some company that requires you to be on site, then it's yes. But otherwise, I think a lot of people enjoying to work from Hawaii or like Colorado or ski resorts or some other fancy places. I think it will stay. You've actually mentioned that you well, can hire people from other countries. And why don't you just uh, use outsource services? Like it's way more profitable. Why just hire people? Uh, we, we, we use, uh, I mean, mostly outsourced <laughs> process uh, for development. It's almost 100% outsourced. Uh, design we have partial, but yeah, I... I, don't, I honestly, I don't understand <laughs> why would they accept like growing their culture and uh, keeping their talent. For the companies like, um, let's say uh, you have a startup and you build a certain version um, of their software and then you raised enough money to hire people locally or just to hire people full time. Uh, it's uh, beneficial because you have uh, less risk this t this way. You you have your own developers that will not jump the ship, especially give them benefits. They tend to stick around. Some people do it like for career purposes. They work for Facebook. They work for Google. These guys don't want like their people like to be all over. Sometimes uh, it's partial. Yeah, like managers, they would prefer to have on-site so for those uh, purposes people would go and work on-site but yeah <clears throat> other than that i don't see much of a advantage to have uh, local developers especially if it's like on the short-term contracts it doesn't make any sense yeah this is actually a tendency that even uh, huge video gaming companies uh, take mm-hmm uh, which is which used to be uh, like very strange, like maybe ten years ago or something. But today, they outsource a lot of the things like um, models making or animations or something. They still uh, keep things like game design uh, in the main office. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's very interesting to find that uh, even. In, in the video gaming industry, a lot of things are, are outsourced. I agree. It's a very, video games industry is very similar to movies industry where there are like core people who has a vision and they have scrape, they have like this, that. And uh, it's always nice to have a professionally specialized people into, in something particular, let's say particle effects or models. And they, yeah, they kind of tend to to use services of those companies because they are like so much involved in their business side of uh, uh, things like pushing those video games in the market. That that's uh, it's a lot of work. So yeah, can blame them. 
You know, I might think I might change our topic a little bit, but you've mentioned LinkedIn is the most effective way to find the clients. But I mean, there is Clubhouse there. It's just getting bigger and bigger. And what do you think? Is it possible to use uh, this platform as a channel of finding new leads? Well, Clubhouse is great, but it lacks uh, tools. If you don't have much time, I don't think it's very effective because uh, you have to go through all the rooms. You basically have to read through all the bios of the people randomly speaking. And it's, uh, there is no clear interest or clear indication that this person might need like your services unless they really talk about it. So in order for you to catch that specific person, you have to spend hours and hours in the clubhouse which is impossible. LinkedIn, on the other hand, has a old school approach to things and all the content there, it's uh, mapped and there are tag words and you can do like a very advanced searches. Uh, you can use like sales navigator to approach certain people and peers, automate things. It's way more robust. I mean, if you compare with Clubhouse, Plus the noise in the clubhouse is like more and more people come in, more and more you have to listen to. Eventually it will be impossible to find uh, that right person that fits you. I think uh, clubhouse, it's, um, it's a great idea. It's great for communication. It's great for networking, but it's not like really good for specifically finding leads for uh, work, for projects and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm just basically trying to find new way of finding clients because you know if this LinkedIn is just getting more popular and popular and there's a lot of spam and it's hard to stand out of this mess so uh, it's pretty interesting I mean once a week just trying to find leads in Clubhouse and just people trust your voice more than just uh, texting so that's kind of pretty thin now, but is you were right that it's uh, pretty time taking finding new clients and trying to uh, satisfy their needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Clubhouse is a great tool for self-promotion. If you like uh, dress yourself into a super person, the people will uh, tend uh, to reach out to you. That's kind of like the direction. LinkedIn is... Uh, not necessarily that uh, LinkedIn can be vice versa, where you can reach out to certain people and suggest them business, which is not quite so clear how to do in the clubhouse unless you like pick, like individually pick them. But I agree with you, like voice uh, adds a little bit more confidence into the scheme and um, people tend to trust those people more when they hear their voice or see the video for for that matter but it's not necessarily a good thing because like the the scammers and cheaters <laughs> they have more options to to cheat you this way and by looking at at the profiles on clubhouse sometimes i'm like wow I'm, a, I'm surrounded by Elon Musk. What is going on? Like everyone is so advanced there. 
as like their profiles are like full of medals and achievements and everything. Where is this proof? Where, who are these people? So yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a, it's a great thing. With LinkedIn, everything is transparent. You see this person, it's been CEO of this company, he's connected to that person, you know that person, you can ask him like, oh, do you know this guy? He's like, yeah, we work together or something. Here you go. So you have instant proof, instant vouching. With the clubhouse, you can't really like interrupt the conversations and say, hey, who are you? Do you know this guy? <laughs> it, would, it would look funny. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned a lot of that you want to communicate with people and I don't understand how you want to stay with the remote job because I mean, we're all in a shortage of communication and we are inclined where our body is just inclined of this face-to-face interaction and I can get like what's the benefit for you to stay at home and uh, do all the work from there? There's not necessarily a huge benefit uh, from this. I would love to go and socialize with people at some uh, tech meetups or conferences if they were happening, Uh, but they are not. They are happening online, just like everything else, which is, uh, it's sad. Like, I really miss that aspect of it, but I don't want to like, spend all my life at the conferences and running around from one building to another building. Uh, I think uh, focusing on the real work and uh, saving time from driving from place to place or even flying from conference to conference, it saves a lot of time and you can be more efficient in what you do. Uh, so I prefer that kind of approach with a little mixture of uh, in-person interaction, uh, like I did before COVID, it was working great for me because I, I do like to socialize, but I don't want to like, sacrifice my life for that. And partially the clubhouse is uh, the popularity of it. It's a result of uh, lack of interaction between people and the people just flock in there because they're, they're bored at home. They like, they miss interaction. They miss talking to people about cool stuff. I understand that's um, that's a very good reason for people to join it. And I think that for most part, uh, success of the clubhouse is due to that because the idea is not new, not at all. I mean, yeah, we just spend a lot of time during lockdown at home and uh, our thinking have changed a lot. And do you think the world will be the same again? Will people just go out at uh, a cafe without a mask or we just, we always use the sanitizers and uh, try to protect ourselves from all the diseases and viruses? I think the world will never go to the same where it was before. Uh, we went through the crazy crisis and now people more educated about the viruses and the ways of protect protection and how to protect themselves. So I think it will stay. Um, this type of viruses, it can come back like they promise us there will be like a new strain every year now. So in a way, uh, yes, we will be going to cafes, the vaccine will help that, but the world will never go to the same place where it was before the COVID, I think. Is it good or bad? Do you, what's your personal opinion about it? 
again, it's like it's very difficult to categorize it bad or good. That I, I mean, in general, there is no. Uh, I mean, it, it does create a, a lot of problems to people. So I would say, uh, I wish it was like it was it used to be, but on the other hand, we can do nothing about it. So you will just have to like learn how to live with it i guess yeah so. it's actually like way more opportunities to communicate with people from other countries and we actually can join the meeting with we like maybe should to fly to the another country and we just can join the zoom and talk with these people and there's tons of possibilities and abilities that are open to us at the moment i agree that the opportunities are much more stronger for people who were deprived of those uh i live in san francisco so i i could like go literally go out of my house and meet bunch of entrepreneurs on the street just in front of my house I could go like to millions of meetups and conferences every day. Not everyone has those opportunities. And uh, if you like sit in somewhere as a small town in Siberia, yeah, it, like it's difficult to communicate and network. But and now there's much more opportunities for those people. And the whole concept of um, getting developers remotely it's a very common now for a lot of people. So the whole globalism aspect of it, it really helps uh, developers from Eastern Europe, for example, uh, to get noticed and to get more work and, and to get paid more, actually. Yeah, the, the rates are, are going up tremendously because of that. Yeah, this is uh, actually great. One, one of the benefits that, uh with with the COVID situation is that um, everybody became more equal in a sense that right uh, people that didn't used to have possibilities possibilities due to being uh, in a wrong place or in or in in a country that didn't have as many possibilities now that we are ev like everybody's in line um, everybody is well it's it's hard to say that. Everybody is equal, but the situation uh, kind of improved for those who didn't used to have possibilities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Even in startup business, uh, it's even more noticeable. And I've heard that many times uh, the guys in Startup Kitchen, they were like talking about the VC Kitchen, uh, that now you don't have to be in Silicon Valley to start a, a cool startup. You can do it from anywhere in the world. And this is great. I think this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, we just spend more time at home. We spend more time in our phones. And you all know about this doom scrolling problem. And I want to ask you about one thing. What is more perspective to use, not to use now, what is more perspective, mobile development or web development, in your opinion? Um, they both kind of important because uh, mobile development, it's good for consumer apps. It's great for um, spreading something viral, like 
like have uh, Clubhouse, for example, wouldn't be that successful if it would be only desktop version. Uh, but on the other hand, um, the web development, it's a core for everything. You, you should not forget that all those mobile apps, they have backend and it runs on servers and has nothing to do with mobile. It just serves information to those clients that people hold in their hands. So uh, web development is more essential in a way. If we take away all the smartphones right now from all the people in the world, um, it will be bad, but it won't like change anything. But if we take web browsers and desktop computers and the web servers from all the people in the world, it will just kill the industry completely. So yeah, it depends how you look at it. Uh, Michael, have you had a chance to promote uh, either web apps uh, or mobiles? And which one do you think is easier to promote and get in public? Uh, if you do B2C, it's definitely mobile. If you do B2B, it's uh, definitely web. Yeah, makes sense. Like that's how I see But viral apps is great. I mean, especially video games. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, video games that jump out in ratings uh, lately. Um, for example, this Among Us, it's been like, what, like five years? <laughs> this game was there and like in one, like hundreds of millions of users. It's a great example. Yeah, and actually, uh, I, I, um, it's, it's fun to notice that all these games are online. So if you take like uh, Fall Guys, Among Us, and there's uh, Velheim, which is also getting more popular. Um, it's not, I mean, Valheim, it's not entirely on online, but it has the online aspect. So I think this is what actually people need today is more interaction. Yes, of course. The, the, the gaming, uh, the online games and being able to play with other people, it's been very strong in gaming industry. And yeah, I, I'm glad to see more and more interesting titles appear and more and more interesting concepts appear all over and all this like VR gaming uh, it's amazing I think it's, it's it's a big future there. You know I want to get back to the promotion problem of the apps and of the web to web apps and just uh, I think that because of COVID and because of social media impacts uh, these differences between countries' promotions, it have changed like a lot. We all be becoming pretty common in our tastes. It's also because of TikTok, like people see this, always see the same videos and we just have, starting to have the same mentalities. There is no more differences between countries' approaches. Uh, about a promotion and what do you think uh, is it true or it just my thought that's not fair I think it's uh, it's a natural way how things are going in, uh, in this world we get it more open we're getting globalized there's a less um, conflict cold war or misunderstanding or hate between each other like the world becomes more like unified peaceful place and I think it's a, it's a result of that. People from all over the world becomes legit to present their ideas or uh, release apps. So everyone 
would use them because like, look at this uh, back in the day when there was like a cold war between the United States and Russia. Just imagine if it would be happening right now. There will be no way in Russia like, you would use Zoom or you would use uh, like TikTok or any other application developed outside because there would be like strict ban on them, right? But now like it's all worldwide spreading. Even though, like they, they do make problems. Yeah, we'll probably have some sort of so Soviet TikTok or something. I would say you would have a Soviet internet <laughs> completely disconnected from the American one. If that would I actually watched. Uh, uh, I'm not sure this will this will go to uh, like the, uh, the 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 main po podcast, but I recently watched uh, like the internet in North Korea, and yeah, I imagine if Soviet Union still would be existing in Russia and that would be insane. I mean, having that limitation, those limitations, but I think you don't think about those limitations if, if you don't know how the world lives outside. So, and talking specifically about North Koreans, um, uh, I look, look at that from my perspective and I'm sort of terrified uh, on how people can live but I'm I totally understand that I'm looking at that from my personal perspective and I totally understand that North Koreans treat that as, as a normal thing as they don't really know much how people live out there in, in the capitalism countries mm -hmm. absolutely they, they've been uh, information controlled brainwashed and isolated from the outside world and like I would believe majority of people living in North Korea have no idea like what's going on outside, but you would be surprised how many of those who work for government there, they're uh, very much aware of what's going on. And uh, Korea is number one in money heists uh, by hackers in the world. Uh, so <laughs> this guy's like openly steal money from the exchange from banks like very famous banks and you can do nothing about it you know i actually thought that uh, TikTok and clubhouse they are popular and because of the they are free of these nanny states and government can't influence on others uh videos and uh, the topics we're talking about and just you know a clubhouse getting popular and popular in russia only just because they people have an access of two topics about uh, the things that they just could not talk about and i think that uh, there will be more apps that will be free of nanny states and we might be the the united infrastructure and have the same opinion on all the things i i agree with that uh, in a way uh, clubhouse uh, presents all this information to in a very accessible way for most of people but there is it, it's just the way they present it and it's access to it um Honestly, if you wanted to know these kind of topics and if you wouldn't would want to hear the podcast on those certain topics before the clubhouse, 
you could get to those. I mean, if you have to use Google, you have to sit a little bit and investigate, but it's there. It was there before Clubhouse. So there's like, it's a success to the information, what's innovative here. It's not actual information, I think. And, uh, but in a way, yes, it's a breaking the mom, certain barriers. Not that you cannot ban Clubhouse in North Korea. I think it's possible to do that <laughs> and eliminate that kind of access. Uh, hopefully, it will happen less and less and we all get opened up um, because there is no point of the conflict in, in this world where much more mature and civilized than hundreds of years ago. So it's time to change for everyone, hopefully. Yeah, I guess we all remember when the Trump, then Trump just tried to ban TikTok out of USA. So I think it, it was kind of funny, but and people really thought that it could work out. It was ridiculous. I still kind of like really mind boggling for me. Like, why would this happen? I mean, in any case, even if like Chinese government save that information i don't really see of a huge security risk over there if some dude is like showing his cool dance and some girl is showing how she does the flower ornament very cool way i mean what's so secure like, what's so bad about that <laughs> it's just funny i think it was like just a thought. Yeah, uh, I think that's because uh, TikTok is actually a communist application. <laughs> Maybe, but it's very successful communist application, I have to say. <laughs> yeah, I wish communist Russia had very successful applications. Yeah, unfortunately, they not go in that direction. Although, like, it's uh, always, like, also been, I was always kind of uh, thinking about it. Why uh, Russia? with that amount of creative people, with so many great developers coming from Russia, they really lack this amount of software applications coming out of there. I mean, there are like Telegram, for example, it's great, it's, it's amazing, right? But so little, it's, it's something with maybe connected to the culture or maybe people just don't believe they can do it in Russia and they, prefer to figure out how to get to United States and, and make it here. Um, well, fun fact that actually Telegram was, uh, I think it was built in, in the US already when uh, Pavel Durov already moved to the US. Um, um, as a developer, that's a very interesting question. And uh, the fact that we have um, is that, well, most most of the Russian companies don't work for Russians, um, and the same is about uh, like video games. Russia has a ton of awesome uh, game developers, but the problem is that like most of, most of them work for the U.S. and um, the thing always comes down to funding. Game industry is very um, problematic industry. I used to work in it and I have to say it's not that easy to success there because mostly it's being controlled before at least uh, by big publishers. 
and they're like whales control the Bitcoin. They cannot like really <laughs> like swim around them. But now with the self-publishing platforms, even like Google, Apple, they help developers to a certain extent to bring their games to the markets without those publishers by of course getting the cut. Um, that's a big uh, problem there. Plus um, the marketing, the distribution of games, it has to be um, done professionally. And uh, there are no like specific channels for Russian game market. That's why they have to look uh, towards US. Also um, the lifespan of the games, it's really hard, very difficult to get a game that it's popular forever, like chess. You create it, the people play chess all over the world and they don't stop playing chess. Usually with the video games, people play a little bit in it, a couple of years, and it's done. Unless you support that franchise, you create new levels, you create new versions, you, you, you do something about it, right? If you don't, it withers out. So it's very difficult to kind of keep up with her. With the competition there's there's one actually actually there's one little exception though so it's tetris yeah Tetris is like chess it's a genius invention it's basically like it's one of the most uh, amazing games ever created it's so simple and it's so addictive and it's so still so current and uh, that's amazing yeah Pajetonov is a genius for sure yeah you know maybe there's a little cultural problem because russian people we just don't we are not able to sell our ideas we better just give it to someone and uh, people who know how to do this they will do it and we we kind of scared of showing that we actually create something genius and I think it's time to change our cultural approach. Uh, I think partially, but it's more, not so much cultural, but much more uh, synthetically created by a hundred years of communism and kind of neglecting uh, uh, of capitalism and uh, private entrepreneurship uh, in that country. It was more or less forbidden for people even think that direction while in us they all the kids been like taught in schools like be a master of this universe you are the man you are the best and just go and do it uh, while in russia you had to learn how to be part of this huge organization and a little different approach if you look at the at japan for example it's kind of in the middle so uh in one way it's like open capitalistic uh country but uh, they've been taught as well to be like a part of the huge organizations and corporations and not to be like uh, individually successful um, as long as people like start thinking differently um it will change and there's a lot of Japanese entrepreneurs and there's a bunch of uh, Russian entrepreneurs with successful products, successful companies. And that's a kind of proof that it's all up to you, like how you look at the things and stop believing that brainwashing they've been teaching you. <laughs> there's one thing that I have to look at, though, um, which is statistics. Well, according to startuprankingcom um, 
the United States uh, like generate about 60, almost 67,000 startups. Um, I think that that's per year or something. Let me actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, probably. Um, and comparing that to Russia, Russia is like uh, only 640. So almost what was it, a thousand times less. No. Yeah, or a hundred times less. Yeah, I mean, it does all make sense because uh, it's not just the culture that stops people from um, going after those ideas and trying to success as a startup. It's an infrastructure. It's, um, it's uh, what's available for those people. Uh, here in the United States, it's a huge organization of our financial uh, institutions, um, advisors, sellers, like it's the whole platform. So it does not exist in Russia almost. I mean, it's very premature if you compare it with the United States. Even like if you look at the United States, even it's not homogeneous here either. Like if you go to Ohio or like North Dakota, it's really hard to create some kind of like viral social app over there and just advertise it within those circles. It's much easier to do it here in the Silicon Valley because you have uh, users that are open to jump on it. You have uh, VCs that are ready to invest into it. You have uh, uh, multiple channels for advertisement, marketing, sales, anything you want already created. So yeah, it's, it's a huge advantage. Even though like those channels can be available remotely, <clears throat> it's not the same. And uh, being here and, and looking and watching all that, you kind of get better ideas how to survive and, and proceed to the, to the victory. Eh? <laughs> Me, I'm just basically surrounded by inspiration. And here is in Russia, you're just surrounded by houses, I don't know, tramps, and there is nothing to be inspired of. And I mean, it, it, there is actually one problem that we basically learn of, to solve problems and there is no uh, space for creative thinking. And being a child in Russia, it's just basically uh, to be in the mode that you just should try fit. And uh, there is I mean, it's a pretty problem of Russian education and uh, in, the U in the US it's just completely different and there's a problem that we, I guess, can't solve in uh, 50 years or something. I think you're right. I mean, at this point, yeah, Russia lacks institutions like MIT, Stanford, which are like huge educational hubs that uh, attract people from all over the world and not necessarily just the United States to come there and be creative together and collaborate. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of time if this kind of hubs will be created in Russia. I think things can change dramatically and very fast. And thanks to those institutions like these uh, universities, that are located in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley become, became like what it is right now. It's uh, mostly because of that, not the climate here, 
not the proximity to Pacific Ocean. It's just those VCs came here because they saw those opportunities. It's not vice versa. Uh, do you have any concrete steps that countries like Russia have to take in order to improve the situation? Yes, of course. Uh, open uh, centers for education, tech education and collaboration, similar to Skolkovo. Um, just open a great schools. I mean, in Russia, there is so much uh, science and so much uh, um, the, the, the platform, the foundation for it. It's huge. I mean, look at it like big amount of uh, very successful and prominent scientists and researchers and startup uh, entrepreneurs here in the US are from Russia and they migrate here to create those things. If uh, climate and atmosphere like uh, for, for this would be more positive in Russia, they would just stay there. It's much more easier if you have like established your life there, you have your family, you have your relatives, you have your friends, and you have opportunities to grow and achieve what you want, why would you move, right? Right, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, Russia should invest more into that. All right, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Any other questions? I guess the last question should be about the COVID. <laughs> uh, what are you looking forward to? at the moment i wish it would be less uh, paranoia <laughs> in the air san francisco is probably most paranoid city in the united states about the COVID. we've been so strict about the quarantine and everything everything's closed everything is cancelled everyone is with their masks even dogs are wearing masks sometimes i mean it's pretty hardcore and that's kind of i mean it, it's it's essential it's good, but it kind of breaks the spirit. It's very uh, oppressing. I wish the things would be more positive. People relaxed a little bit. Um, for that, we need like more vaccines. We need more uh, opening things like hair salons, gyms, restaurants. Uh, a lot of people's happiness uh, depends on that. I wish more of that would happen soon that will uh, add more balance and stability to people's life. People will relax. They stop screaming at people without wearing masks, those who don't wear masks on the streets, for example. That would be a good step. Then I hope the social life around the startups and entrepreneurship, the conferences will go back sometimes soon, hopefully. I don't know when, <laughs> maybe in a year or so. Um, I, don't, I can say, but uh, that would be great to see people from Russia, from Belarus, from Europe, from South America coming here and we can meet and have a drink together. Right now we mostly communicate on Skype and Zoom, <laughs> which is also fine, but it would be nice to see people in person. And I know lots of uh, people, my colleagues who overseas they wanted to come here for a while and there is just no opportunity i hope that will change soon yeah we hope so too thank you for being with us it was pretty interesting having you thank you guys for this opportunity to be your guest i really appreciate it yeah thank you mike for uh, 
very interesting, very interesting thoughts and very interesting uh, points of view on different things. You're welcome.